What's up guys, how we doing? Welcome back to Around the Arc. Got another another great episode for you today. I was thinking since what well, we've had about a week or so of the of the regular season so far. I just thought today I'd go through a few of my takeaways from from the first week of the regular season. Now, since most teams have only played three or four games by this stage, you know, some of these will definitely end up being overreactions for sure, but hey, why not? Why not just get into it? So, I without any further ado, let's just go right ahead with this. So, takeaway number one for me is that this this could be, I emphasize could, this could be Carl anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins' year. So you look at the T-Wolves, they are 3-0 and to start the season, and that's for the first time in five years. And they've really been turning some heads, you know, with their play early on in the season. Now, by far and away, the biggest reason for that, for their fast start, has been Carl anthony Towns. He's just been completely unstoppable to start the year. I mean, he's averaging something like... 32 13 and 5 with like three steals and two blocks over 50 percent from the field and what's even more striking he's hitting over half of his threes as well now obviously the west is really deep it's going to be really tough to make it into the playoffs but if minnesota are going to want to remain in the sort of playoff hunt then I think they're going to need Cat to continue to be at this sort of MVP level. But like with like with any superstar, you know, they can't do it completely by themselves. And that brings us to Andrew Wiggins. Now, there was a fair bit of talk about Wiggins leading up to the start of this season. In fact, I did a whole episode on him a few weeks ago, so you can, uh, you can go check that out. And... What lots of us were talking about was how this was kind of a make-or-break year for Wiggins, who has disappointed, to say the least, in the last two years especially, where he's taken a couple of steps back, really. He's regressed, which really shouldn't be happening for a, for a sixth-year player who's managed to stay healthy and has all the athletic gifts in the world. So it's it's fair to say why some... It's fair to see, sorry, why some people have given up on him already. But um, my 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 takeaway from Wiggins was that he he still has the potential to come back and kind of reestablish himself as a rising star. And although he certainly hasn't been playing at any sort of all star level or anything, I think he has shown some promising flashes to start the season especially in fourth quarters and clutch situations, I think. You saw in the season opener against Brooklyn, I think Andrew, he hit multiple big shots down the stretch and in overtime of that game, actually. And then just the other night, actually, against the Heat, I think it was, he just went totally nuts in the fourth quarter and he hit something like three straight threes down the stretch to essentially seal the game. Now, it would still be nice, I think, to see a little more consistency and a little more aggressiveness, assertiveness from Wiggins. And he could maybe showcase that by getting to the line a bit more as well. But things certainly could have gone worse to start the season for him, I have to say. 
Now, I'm not I'm not ready to label the Timberwolves as legitimate playoff threats yet. But if their star duo, if you can call them that with Wiggins, if they can continue to play well, they're going to be no pushover. You know, they're going to be able to compete in most games this season. And I just think if, if Wiggins can maybe show flashes on a more consistent basis, that'll certainly, certainly help their case. Moving on to takeaway number two I have, and that is DeJounte Murray should be in consideration for most improved player. Now, most most people going into this season have the Spurs as kind of a fringe playoff team in the West, maybe a lower tier seed. But with the apparent breakout of their point guard, DeJounte Murray, you know, that might change quite quickly. You know, the third-year guard, he missed all of last season, where he tore his ACL in preseason, if you don't remember. But now that he's back, he looks very healthy, and he looks better than he has ever been in his career so far. I mean, before the injury, he was already one of the very best defensive guards in the NBA, but now it seems that his offense is starting to catch up as well. You know, he's not he's not going to go off for 30 points every night or he's not going to, you know, splash five threes on a consistent basis. But what he is doing, he's proven to be a very reliable floor general. You know, he picks his spots, he knows when to attack, he sets up his teammates well. And then when he thrives the most on offense, it has to be in transition. You know, when Murray gets out in the open floor, he is very difficult to contain. He's got his quickness and burst to speed make it really hard for defenders to stop him from getting all the way to the rim. And then he's also a danger to find his teammates on the break too or hit a trailing big or or something like that. Now also with, with DeJounte on the floor... The Spurs will have numerous opportunities to get out and the out and run. You know, he's one of by the numbers, he's one of the best rebounding guards in recent NBA history. And so, if he can, if he can uh, corral a rebound off a miss, he can get the fast break started right away. And then he can also use his very active hands and quick reflexes to get steals or deflections either by picking a guy's pocket or he's very good in the passing lanes as well so put simply murray does a little bit of everything and if he can continue to be this sort of two-way star role player i guess is how i would classify him I think not only should he be in the discussion at least for for most improved player, but I think he'll also significantly raise the ceiling of this Spurs team. And I mean, at the moment, as as of the time I'm recording this episode, the Spurs are currently sitting at three and zero. They're one of the undefeated teams so far. And obviously, yeah, it's just been it's just been three games, but. Murray is showcasing his value as well. He's showing that his value goes way beyond the stats. You know who he's kind of like, actually. I kind of view him as a bit of a a bit of a Draymond Green type player, but at the point guard position. You know, he'll do a little bit of everything, and he's way better than the numbers would indicate. And I know that before the season, I had the Spurs picked 
to actually not make the playoffs. But, you know, I think the West is just so unpredictable that it's it's really impossible to pick at the moment. But with the way DeJounte's playing, the Spurs are going to be right in the thick of it. Now, moving on to another team that I had as sort of, you know, fringe playoff threats. I actually picked them to make it in as the eighth seed, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. But specifically here, I want to look at their star duo, the reason that they are going to be anywhere near the playoffs to begin with, and that is Luka and KP. And my takeaway from them is that they are even better than advertised. I think everyone, including me, before the season was saying that, you know, we'd need to give the Mavs a little bit of time for their, you know, new star duo to establish themselves and get used to playing with one another and things. And, you know, there there are a couple of reasons why I think we were expecting them to need some time at the Mavs. I think the first was simply because Luca and KP... Like, they'd never played with each other before. And, you know, with most new star pairings, it takes a little bit of time to figure stuff out. And secondly, I think we all thought that Perzingis would need a little bit of time to wear off the rust and play his way back into game shape after missing essentially a year and a half, you know, recovering from that torn ACL. But neither of those things have been the case so far. And I think this pair, they look to be way ahead of the curve already. You know, Luca looks like a full-blown superstar through the first few games. I think he's, he's averaging close to a 30-point triple-double, which is just insane for a second-year player. And then KP, he looks even better than he did in New York. And most importantly, I think, these two are thriving together. And they've quickly become one of the most feared pick-and-roll or pick-and-pop pairings in the entire league. I mean, and you can see why. There is, just, there is, no, there is no real way to defend that because KP, Przingis, well, I mean, each of them can hit threes from 30 feet or beyond. Uh, so you have, to, you have to go right out and guard KP in the pick-and-pop situations. He's also so incredibly long that you've got to cover him on the roll as well. And then Luca, if you spend all your time focusing on Perzingis, Luca can make anything happen he wants, whether it be going to the rim or breaking out his lethal step back. There's just no way to guard that pick and roll. And again, I know this has just been a few games, but with how good they've been through these three or four games, just imagine how good they're going to be once they've had a few months to play together and further work on their chemistry with one another. And as that will give Chris Stapps more time to continue to get his legs under him as well. So I think we, we haven't seen the best from him yet either, far from it. Now, I'm, I know this was, one of, this was one of my bold predictions actually before the season that the Mavs were going to make it into the playoffs. And I have to say, I'm feeling better and better about that pick even though I know they lost to the Blazers the other night, but that was still a really close game and they could have they pulled it out. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling better and better about my Mavs pick uh, for them making the playoffs. And, you know, the scary thing is they're just getting, they're just getting started. So like I said, we have, 
we have definitely not seen the best from those two yet. Right, moving to another team out west for my for my next takeaway, and that is the Lakers. I mean, I, I couldn't go a whole episode without talking about the Lakers. Come on. <laughs> um, my takeaway for them is their defense is pretty legit, I have to say. Now, this new look Lakers team... And with the personnel they managed to acquire in the summer, it was clear they always had the potential to be a dominant defensive team. But, you know, there were several questions that still remained about, you know, how much effort would LeBron put into that end? You know, how engaged would he be consistently? Same with AD, I guess, um, but to a lesser degree. And, you know, what would this team's defensive game plan be? And I think since their opening night loss to the Clippers, which has really been the only negative so far of their season, I think the Lakers, they've been putting a lot of those questions to rest, I think. Now, obviously, everything for them defensively starts with Anthony Davis, who, you know, he's been playing like his usual defensive player of the year caliber self. But the other guys have come along for the ride as well. You know, the result, the result of this has been, you know, a pretty impressive and disruptive defensive attack. You know, they're racking up a lot of blocks and steals and, you know, being able to force a lot of turnovers or or get um, off of blocks, you know, the kind of live ball misses almost, you know, racking up a lot of these turnovers. It's the key to unlocking their fast break offense, which... When you've got LeBron with AD filling the lane and a bunch of shooters ready to spot up, that is just, you know, your ideal fast break offense. And I, I feel like I don't need to keep saying this, but yeah, it's just been a few games. <laughs> but like, the signs have definitely been encouraging thus far. And the thing with great teams, you know, the true championship contenders... What what gives them the chance to win every night, even on nights when their shots aren't falling, is because their defense can pick up the slack. And this this can certainly be the case with this Lakers team. And for LeBron, I mean, LeBron won't have had this luxury, really, since his Miami days. I mean, during his second stint in Cleveland, they only had a top 10 defense that one year, and that was the year they won the title. And, you know, back in his Miami days, we all know how that turned out for him. You know, two rings in four years. So, I know everyone loved to overreact to the opening night loss to the Clippers. And, gosh, he going on, like, watching First Take with Stephen A. And all those, all those uh, NBA media guys just blowing things way out of proportion after that one game saying, oh, Kawhi has snatched the throne from LeBron. LeBron looked old and rusty and he's not the same player he once was, you know. It was just one game. And since that, they've kind of been all right. So, aye, moving on to another takeaway, shall we? This one is a little, a little bit more of a negative one. And that is the fact that Luke Walton, new coach of the Sacramento Kings, he should maybe be fired or at least be put on the hot seat. Largely because 
I think the Sacramento Kings have been arguably the biggest disappointment of this NBA regular season so far, young as it may be. I mean, they've start- they just lost last night to Denver as well, so they've started 0-4. And frankly, they look nothing at all like the exciting and competitive squad from a year ago, even though they've brought back basically the same team. You've got another year of De'Aaron Fox, Buddy Heald, and Marvin Bagley, who should be getting better, you know, being young players. And they brought in Dwayne Dedman and Trevor Ariza, two, you know, good veteran presences. Dwayne Dedman's a very good two-way center. You know, no reason for them to be going 0-4 to start the year. And I think a lot of the blame for this slow start should be put on the shoulders of Luke Walton. You know, their defense has been pretty poor, but... It's their offense that has me more concerned. You know, there seems to be very little player movement off the ball, which is especially baffling when you consider they have Buddy Heald on their roster, a guy who should be being utilized much like a J.J. Redick-type player. You know, he's such a lethal shooter and so good in the catch-and-shoot situations that they should he should be in constant motion coming off screens. And they should base a lot of their offense around that. But he's, like, they're running isos for him and stuff, which, you know, the occasional iso is not not bad. But the fact that they don't have him moving constantly off the ball is a little worrying to me. And what a lot of their offensive possessions end up becoming are just, you know, giving the ball to usually De'Aaron Fox, sometimes Buddy Heald, and even Harrison Barnes as well giving the ball to one of these guys and just basically hoping that they can make something happen, which is, it, it, that that's never a recipe for success unless you have a guy like Kevin Durant who, you know, you give him the ball, he can score in any way imaginable. But none of the guys the Kings have is, is a Kevin Durant type player. So there's, it's not it's not a real recipe for success, this. So unless they can turn things around in a bit of a hurry, and it will need to be in a hurry, I think, I expect Walton to be put on the hot seat sooner rather than later. And just as a little as a little aside, can we just call out the can we call it incompetence? I think we can of the Kings organization. Like where was their logic in finding a new coach this season? I mean, you look at what they they were in the playoff race for much of last year really young exciting core you know they're clearly going to get better in the future you know they made so many strides last year and their response is to get a new coach this year like i I don't know what the kings are thinking because they have all the pieces there for uh, a competitive team a playoff squad maybe a year or two down the line i just i don't know man but I think yeah, a lot of the a lot of the blame there can be can be put on Luke Walton, I think. Now, my second to last takeaway. Another negative one, I'm afraid. Um we're talking about the Warriors, Golden State Warriors, and the fact that they might actually struggle to make the playoffs. And I think their current situation can be summed up pretty perfectly 
by Draymond Green, who after their second lo- their blowout loss to the Thunder, I think that was their second game of the season, where Draymond just came out and said, we suck right now. Flat out. And, you know, he's not wrong. <laughs> uh, Golden State, they have been pretty bad to start the year. I know... I know that they did beat the Pelicans last night, but um, I'll need to see more performances like that to be to be fully sold on this team, to be honest. Um, because apart from that, they've been really bad, especially on defense. And even, like, they gave up 123 points in their victory over the Pelicans, so it's not like they were shutting them down or anything. You know, the the starting backcourt of Steph and, and D'Angelo Russell, I mean, they, they've struggled to hit shots thus far, but um, I think you have to imagine that at some point they're each going to find their respective shooting strokes. And, you know, that you don't, I don't think we need to worry too much about that. However, there are they do have some other issues that don't seem to have an obvious fix to them. And the issues I'm talking about here are their defense, and the team's depth issues. You know, I know they got some contributions from other guys last night in their win. Over the Pelicans again, I'm talking about. You know, I think that, who is it, Damian Lee, I think, off the bench, had 23-11 and 11 or something. So obviously, stuff like that's not sustainable. They had Jordan Poole had 13 or something. And, oh, who else? Uh, I think they had a couple of other guys maybe step up as well. But the point is, I, I don't know how sustainable that kind of bench production is. Um, and then, speaking of their defense, with Clay out, possibly for the whole season, although I'm not, I'm not so sure about that now. Uh, but with him out at the moment and with Iggy gone, they have no real perimeter stopper. And given the fact that they start both Russell and Curry at the guard spots, they're going to struggle, I think, containing bigger and stronger guards. You know, wait until they start facing guys like James Harden, you know, DeMar DeRozan, guys that I think they're going to really struggle defending those guys. Um, They've also been without Willie Cauley-Stein, which I think is is, is a pretty significant blow. You know, I think when he comes back, at least that will give them another big body and interior presence. You know, he's not he's not a bad shot blocker and rim protector. But on the flip side, if if Draymond Green isn't able to be a sort of game changer on the defensive end, I don't know how much of a difference Collie Stein will make. I think he will he will make an impact for sure, because above anything else, that it's just an extra body and and Golden State needs that with with their depth issues, so um, I think they'll be. And I'm not actually sure when Collie Stein's coming back. I don't think he's out for too long, but um, they're going to be wanting him back sooner rather than later. And yeah, just touching on their bench again. Obviously, this was the big concern for Golden State before the season started. You know, the who's going to produce for this second unit. And through the first few games, I still don't really know the answer, unless Damian Lee can keep giving them 20 hit 20 a night off the bench. But I don't expect that to happen. Maybe they just they, they need to rely on occasionally the odd guy exploding for, you know, maybe 15. Or they'll, they'll just get 
the occasional guy will get double figures off the bench. I just I don't know if there is a guy on that second unit for Golden State who can be a consistent, you know, ten points per game scorer or even just a reliable option. I'm just I'm just not sure. It's so many like unknowns there. Um you know, I get maybe maybe one of their guys will step up out of nowhere and give them consistent production. You know, maybe maybe Steph really catches fire and just carries the team on his back for a stretch and wins them some games. But for now, I think with the way they're playing, I guess it, it's not really fair to say until Clay comes back. But at the moment, it's looking like the dynasty's over, for one. But unless they can, you know, get some consistent play out of everyone, you know, their team, the team's playoff streak might be in a bit of jeopardy too. But before before you hop on Twitter and rage at me for that again, I know it's just a few games, and this, especially because it's in the West, it might change overnight, basically. And yeah, they did look a lot better, I have to say, in their in their win over the Pelicans. So it's it's not like all hope is lost or anything. But they're certainly they're sort of in uncharted territory. Because being so used to being able to just hit cruise control in the past few years and having all those weapons being able to, you know, beat teams by thirty just by going off in one quarter. And, you know, I guess still having Steph and that's still possible, but it's, you know, nowhere near the same situation for Golden State. So I guess maybe give them a bit of time to adjust to this new situation they find themselves in. But, you know, all things considered, it has been a pretty poor start to the year for them. Uh, Finally, a last takeaway here. I thought I need to end on a positive note. And who better than the surprise team of this year, or who looks like they could be the surprise team of this year, and that is the Phoenix Suns. Now, I think a few nights ago, when the Suns had their shocking upset win over the Clippers, you know, that seemed to put the rest of the league on notice a little bit. I think despite it only being the third game of the season, it did feel a bit like a statement win for the Suns. And it feels like, you know, they finally arrived or in some sense they've arrived, you know, I think give give the front office some credit. I know the Phoenix front office does get a bad rap for how terrible they've been the last few years. And, you know, rightly so. <laughs> Um, but they have finally surrounded Devin Booker with enough complementary talent to make this team competitive. Now, Booker is obviously going to be Booker, and but it's the other guys who have surprised a lot of people, I think. You know, Rubio, he's looking like a really good fit point guard for them. Dario Saric is like the perfect stretch for um you know, a guy who can score in a number of different ways and really pull bigs out to the three-point line with his with his shooting stroke. Uh, Aaron Baines, he continues to be a like the ultra-reliable role player, especially now with Aiton being suspended for the time being. And then you've got guys like Tyler Johnson and Javon Carter, their backup point guard. He's been a, he's been probably the biggest surprise 
Verstim and those guys are giving Phoenix major lifts off the bench. Now, the West, I think it's still so deep, and I think it might still be too deep for the Suns to make it into the postseason this year. But with the way they're playing, I think their playoff drought will be over soon enough. I think it's, it was such a big blow to have Aiton, you know, come have him suspended for... I don't know if they've decided on it yet, but it might be as many as 25 games. And obviously that's a huge blow, but um, I think the Suns, at the time of this recording, they're sitting at 2-2, two and two, but they've been they've been competitive in every game they've played. They could they could actually they, they could easily be four and zero right now. You know, their two losses, they had that one point overtime loss to Denver where they lost on that game saving block by Tory Craig on Devin Booker. And then last night they lost 96-95 to the Jazz. So it's not like they've been blown out at all. They've been in every game that they have played. So very encouraged by them so far. And then when they get Aiton back, that'll just make them all the more competitive. But there we, there we have it, guys. Those are my takeaways so far from, from the first week or so of the season. Now, I'd love you to let me know what are your biggest takeaways so far from the new NBA season. You can, uh, you can let me know on Twitter. Tweet me at AroundTheArcPod. Uh, it'd be great to let me know on there. and Because I'm sure that I'll make more of these types of episodes in the future. Because, I mean... <laughs> We're going to be having t- takeaways every week of the season, so go ahead and let me let me know some of your some of your biggest takeaways so far from the season on Twitter, and I'll see. Uh, I'll maybe put together another one of these episodes in the future. But that that kind of does it for today, guys. I hope you hope you enjoyed the episode, and I will see you back again on Sunday probably for for another episode. Haven't haven't quite settled on a topic yet for it. So um, again, if you would if you'd like to have some input um, and suggest some topics for me, go ahead. You can do that on Twitter as well. But um, yep, enough from me, guys. I will see you back here again later on in the week. All right, guys. Gotcha. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.